continue of honoring your time. It is 3.31, and so we'll go ahead and get started. This is Aaron Stern. He is our church planner that is planting in Fort Collins. And you've been there, what, a year and a half? Yes. year and a half. I'm Greg Hampton, and uh, New Life has just sent me out uh, two months ago. I'm planting in Rock Island in the Quad Cities in the Midwest. And this is a session about church planning, in case you didn't know that already. Anybody in the wrong <laughs> session? If you're in the wrong session. <laughs> okay. All right, well, we'll open up with prayer, and then Aaron's going to share some ideas, and then we'll take some Q&A. Well, Father, we just thank you that you send us out. Uh, I just uh, I think fondly and often about how you sent your disciples out, and you told them what to take and what not to take, and what to trust and what not to trust. We just thank you that you send and that you equip and that you trust your people to do your work. We pray that your spirit is honored here today as we talk about what it means to plant in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, this session was also uh, at one point going to be taught with a couple of other New Life Church planters, um, Ross Parsley and Rob Brindle. Um, Ross uh, used to be the worship pastor here, and he was sent out several years ago to Austin, Texas, and before him was Rob Brindle sent to Denver. Um, and then I was kind of the fourth in line, and uh, or third, excuse me. <laughs> uh, and I went to Fort Collins, and we've been we're a year and a half old now. And then Greg is um, right on the precipice of. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, um, so I, what I'd love to do is maybe just uh, share a little bit of our story. Um, rec I recognize um, that maybe some of you in here are potential future planners. Some of you are pastors and you're thinking, I want to send some people out. And uh, so hopefully as we talk through a little bit of that story, um, it'll be helpful for you as well as a few different pieces of advice that I think I heard or that I would love to be able to share. And, um, and then Greg, I want him to jump in. And Greg, not only has, is he in the middle of, of the planning process have kind of having kind of jumped out of the new life nest, um, but he also was part of a church plant, not as the lead pastor, uh, well, your worship, worship pastor, um, several years ago. So he's got kind of a couple of different kind of experiences um, that I think might be helpful. So um, I'm not going to start off by taking any time to like say and talk about why church planting is valuable. Um, I think I'd like, to, I'd like to assume that we all understand that and we recognize that Jesus calls us and sends us out and tells us to go and we need to be a church and we need to be churches that are sending out and multiplying in different types of ways and so that can look like a lot of different ways with a lot of, in a lot of different places and a lot of different cities so so there's lots of ways that this might look different but if I can just uh, kind of start with with some of our experience and then kind of launch into there and then we'll have some uh, time of Q&A um, so I grew up here in Colorado Springs and I grew up going to New Life I started going here to New Life when I was 12, and um, about, and then I became the college pastor um, about 12 years ago, which was not when I was 12, but uh, I was the college pastor here for about 11 years, and, and seriously, like in the middle, during about eight or nine, nine of those years, uh, if you'd asked me, uh, what are you going to do with the rest of your life, uh, where, what's next, because that's what college pastors and youth pastors and People like that get that question a lot, right? This is because certainly this is only a stepping stone job. And I said, I, and I believe this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I am going to be the oldest, coolest college pastor you've ever seen. And that was, that was what I thought was going to happen. And I uh, was here for 11 years as the college pastor, which in 
college pastor years is like uh, a dinosaur. And so we were really happy here, my wife and I, and thought that, and, and felt the calling of the Lord and started to feel some stirrings in our hearts. Uh, about nine years in, nine, nine and a half years in, weren't sure what to do with them, but over time, and this, I could spend an hour just telling this story, but I won't, but we felt the Lord leading, and it became very evident, people coming up to us and, and you know, giving us a, a word or sharing something with us that they would have no idea what was going on in our lives, and, and it became evident over time that God was leading, and he was going to close this chapter of our lives and ministry here at New Life, and was moving us on to something else. Um, as we did that, it came to the place where we realized that we had two options. Uh, it was so clear that the option was either obey or disobey. And, and so we chose the obey option. And, uh, you know, oftentimes as I talk to different people as we're they're moving through life and making choices and all that kind of thing uh, about the way the direction the Lord leads, you understand what that means and how that plays out and the ways in which God would lead his people. And so we just started to feel like we were following Jesus one step at a time. Would have loved, uh, you know, kind of this, okay, where are we supposed to go? Where are we supposed to be? Where's, where, what city are we going to plant in? All those things. And, and recognizing that God was, you know, the scripture says he's like a lamp unto our feet. And I so often wanted a spotlight into the future and just light up the sky and light up the future and let me see all that stuff and I'll run towards it. And yet, so often, it's just one step at a time. I can only see steps four, five, and six if I take one, two, and three. And, uh, and so we just started following the Lord in those ways and didn't know exactly where we were going. Basically, we felt like the Lord unfolded things kind of in, in phases or steps. The first one was just that the chapter at New Life was coming to a close. And I remember my wife, Jossie, coming to me and saying, okay, I think we should tell Pastor Brady. And just Jossie and I and maybe one other person knew that we were where we were at. And I thought, no way, <laughs> was my response. And her, her reason and was, I just think that you need, it's, we need to tell him. And I thought, he could fire me. This could be the, well, if, you're, if you want to leave, then we'll help that happen really fast. And certainly that happens in lots of different places, unfortunately. Um, but I remember going to Brady and, saying, and kind of telling him the story and, telling him what was happening in our hearts and where we were at and what was unexpected and the ways in which the Lord had been leading us. And, and, I, and then a month after that, I ended up telling the elders. And uh, I, 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 I went to them very early. I didn't know where we were going to go. I didn't even, when I first told Brady, all I knew was we were done here. I just didn't know where we not only where we were going, I didn't even know what we were going to do. I didn't know if we were going to plant a church. And, and, and one of the reasons that I think it was so valuable and it's important for us to have told him was because, and I, because I invited him in to the process really early. And I just said, I, will you be a part of this process? Rather than going to him and saying, um, we feel like we're going to leave. We want to plant a church and we're going to go to Fort Collins. Uh, what do you think about that? And by the way, I'd like to do that in a month, <laughs> which too often kind of happens. It's, it would be kind of like, um, you know, uh, one of your sons or daughters coming to you and saying, hey, I've met him or I've met her and we just got engaged and our, our wedding is next month. Are you good, good with that? And I think too often we don't invite spiritual authority into the process early enough. And even in going to the elders a month later, I said, this is what God, this is what we feel like God is stirring in our hearts. This is where we, where we feel like we're at. 
And we would love for you to pray alongside us and confirm this. And when I gave it to the elders, I said, would you pray about this? And they said yes, and they, they came back and they said, we agree with and confirm and affirm the leading and the calling of the Lord. And if they'd have come back and said, this is crazy. This is not the direction that God has for you. Or if they'd have said, uh, yes, but no, like let's, this isn't the right time. I would have heeded their, uh, heeded their, their wisdom and their direction because I think there's something about submitting our lives to spiritual authority. And so, um, so and, and, and to me, as we do that, as we can, if we can submit and, and, and kind of put ourselves under the leadership like that, there's something beautiful about then not only are they a part of the process and they prayed alongside us, but it also lends itself towards uh, us being sent rather than us just leaving. And too often, I think, church planters leave instead of church planters being sent. And so our desire was to be sent. And, and so ended up being about six or seven months later after talking to the elders, long process, ended up deciding and determining we were going to go to Fort Collins, um, which is about two hours north of here, if you're unfamiliar. And, and we had this huge send-off from New Life, prayed over us, wasn't just a, hey, we bless you and, you know, good luck. But there was uh, finances. There was a, an encouragement to anybody else that was praying about it and would want to be a part and go with us. And so there was a blessing in so many different ways. And as a result, there's a wonderful, continued, strong relationship with us and new life. And, um, and so there's something really great about being sent rather than just leaving a particular place. Um, as we kind of took that step towards, okay, I think this is what God's calling us to do, I felt like we got to this place where, where, you know, it's uncertain. I can only see these next couple of steps, but I can't see everything out in front. And, um, and we started to experience different people kind of coming alongside us, saying, hey, we, we've been praying about it, and we feel like God's calling us to go with you. And, hey, I, got, I would get an, a letter in the mail from somebody that would say, we used to live in Fort Collins. We're really excited about what you're doing, and it'd be a $5,000 check inside that envelope. And for people I have never met still. And I am convinced that as we follow God, and so that he will provide. And, and I, I, I've been asked now by our church planning organization, the Association of Related Churches, would you coach some of these upcoming new church planners? And one of the first questions that I'll have and I want to dig in on is, did you really hear from God? Because if you didn't, and you're just kind of going because you're mad at the church that you're working at or just whatever, then I, one, I know that God will take care of you because he takes care of his kids, but I'm not 100% sure that he's going to provide for you and what you're about to do. And I think if we can respond and follow Jesus and him leading us to the places where we're supposed to be, then I have full confidence that he's going to take care of us because he takes care of his church. And so, so we started to experience that in some pretty amazing ways. Um, different people would call us. Our team started to grow not only within Fort Collins, but people moving to Fort Collins from Colorado Springs and some other places. And, and I, I remember meeting with a friend of mine, uh, kind of mentor, pastor, pastor and he and I was, I was like I just don't know about this and that how do I do this and he said he said you know I think it's so valuable that you seek out some counsel and some and some thoughts from these other people that are 
interested or are already going with you. He said, because how something is, is birthed will say a lot about the years to come. Think about a baby. A baby that's born premature is going to, it's going to say a lot about its first couple of months, if not its first couple of years. And I, I have experienced that, in, and we have experienced that in such wonderful ways with our church, Mill City, in that Jossie and I and so many other people following Jesus, we feel like here we are a year and a half later, and we have this church of people that are just saying, we just want to follow Jesus. And we're not putting them in a place of, okay, buy into this, and make sure you do this, and if you're going to be a part of this, this is how it has to work. But there's just, we are just going to together follow Jesus, and it's really a beautiful thing. And, and so, so there's a, there's, there's a, I th- and so I think if you, you think about churches that leave or church planters that leave in particular ways. Now, I, I know that sometimes get kicked out in certain ways, and so there's nothing maybe that you can do about some of that. But there is so much that we can do about what happens in our own hearts. And so I just want to, I think we have too many splits. I think we have too many splants. <laughs> Those are real splits, but that get labeled as plants. And, uh, and so they really are splants. And I think we need more authentic plants, and we need more authentic sending than we do leaving. Um, as, we, as we started, uh, our main thing was building a team. And um, we, I think a couple of things that are hugely important that are oftentimes overlooked or sometimes neglected have to do with training and a team. And so we are connected with the Association of Related Churches, the ARC, um, New Life, uh, said we want to we want to resource you and we want to be behind you, but we recognize that we aren't the we don't have all the tools necessarily um, to to say this is how it should be done. So we want to connect you with the Association of Related Churches, and so that's what um, they did. And I had relationship with them already. Uh, Greg is a part of the Ark, and so is Rob and Ross and some of the other church planners from here. And so there was a lot of resourcing and training that was happening. And one of the things that was necessary was build a team. And, and it's not that it's the only way to plant a church, um, but, but this is, these, are the, these are the statistics. Nine out of 10 church plants in America fail. Uh, more churches in America are closing than are opening every year. Uh, so we're not doing very well if nine out of 10 church plants are failing. We need to, we, our percentages need to go up. And so the ARC's church plant um, statistics actually are 90% of their churches are succeeding. And part of the reason, I think it's twofold. One is that um, they, do a, they, they don't just let anybody plant. And, part of the, and so some of the thing behind it is we want to not only train you, but we also want to do an assessment to find out, are you in the right place in your life? Are you, do you have the right giftings? Do you have... Um, some of the right culture and all those things in order to go be a planter. Instead of just, oh, you want to plant? Oh, we'd love to send you out. And you're sending them out on a, on a death wish. And the second thing is the belief that it needs to be started and planted with a team, not just kind of one or two people dropping into a, into a city and kind of starting a church in your basement. And, and so there are many churches that do that, and there's many churches that do that that succeed. So that's why I say it's not that that is a okay or that that doesn't ever work Um, but the chances of success and the 90 percent failure rate uh, has actually if you look at just some of the numbers um, nine those of those 90 percent the majority of those 90 percent of churches that fail fail because they're under 100 people and it's not that 
less than 100 people is bad. It's not that less than 100 people are not, those people are invaluable. It's just that they're not sustainable, financially sustainable uh, for the long haul. And so uh, one of the ways in which uh, we want to, we kind of were trained to and jumped into all of this was, was kind of the, we're going to go big or go home. And which I will tell you is really scary <laughs> to kind of say like, hi, uh, we're going to start here on this Sunday and we need kind of like a good number of people to show up. But I'll tell you something, being scared as a church planner is a good thing. I was talking to a, a future church planner not too long ago, and he said, I'm really excited and I'm really scared. And I said, perfect. Because, because that, that's, that scaredness puts you in a place where you say, Jesus, I can't do this. I need you. And, and there's something about that that I think is so beautiful as we step out in faith and ask God to say, I, I, I know how to kind of do church, but I don't want to just do church. I want to see you do what I can't do. And, um, and so, so in some ways, I like the model because it puts you in a place where you're pretty scared out of your mind. So, um, so those are kind of, that's kind of just a few basic pieces to us getting to the place where we launched. Um, it was about nine months to a year worth of process before we left, left New Life. And then um, when we left New Life, it was about six months later that we, throughout six months, we developed a team and then we launched on a Sunday morning service. We thought it was going to take us a year to build a team and we were planning on that. And our team came together sooner than we expected. Um, and so as a result, we kind of accelerated our timeline um, in order to launch with the Sunday morning service. So our first Sunday morning service was a year and a half ago, February 2012, and uh, just to give you a couple of numbers as far as what we've experienced, which I recognize is not necessarily everybody's experience, um, we started with about 400 people on our first Sunday, um, which I was not really concerned about our first Sunday. I was concerned about Sunday 2, 3, 4, and 5, because uh, on Sunday number 1, a bunch of people drove from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins, took the two-hour drive to cheer us on. But I knew they wouldn't come back the next Sunday. <laughs> and, um, and so, so and we, I knew and we were kind of told with the ark, um, you will have kind of, then you'll go down. But start big and then go down, find the bottom, and then you'll know where you're going. And hopefully you can stay above 100. So we went from 400 down to 300, 200. And in the middle of May, so that's from February to May, we didn't know it at the time. Obviously, you find out where your bottom is, not in the moment, but later. Uh, 167 was our bottom in the summer of 2012. And since then, um, we have about 800 people now showing up on a Sunday morning at Mill City Church. And um, so it's been an amazing, incredible, scary. Somebody told me early on, church planning is like riding a roller coaster without a seatbelt uh, on fire. And it is 150% true. Um, it, will, it will test you in all ways, and um, it is not for the faint of heart. Uh, I expected it to be hard work, but it is harder work than I expected. But at the same time, I have, it has been an amazing, not just for me, but for our team. Not just for our team, but families and the new people coming to see God at work, um, to participate in God's plan and God's purposes in ways that you realize, I didn't do this. I had a really good job here. I was not only the college pastor for 11 years, I was on the executive team, 
Um, I was on the elder board. I had just written a book. It came out um, like a couple of months before I ended up leaving here. I had lots of opportunities. There was nothing wrong here. And I left here thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> and I knew, though, that I was leaving because I was following Jesus. I also knew, like, I don't need to leave all of that and sell my house and move away from and take my kids out of a school and plant my family and kind of start over in a new city and a new place just to kind of play church. I can play church here. I can, I can just do church anywhere. And so I w I'm willing, though, to go through all of that, to see something and step back from something and say, look what God did. There's a passage in Colossians, and actually it's in Philippians and Ephesians in multiple places. Paul says, in Philippians 2, he says, and work out or live out or figure out how to, how to live your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, for it is God who is at work in you. And I love the fact that he's here like, work, work it out. Put all your energy to, into it, but then partner it with the energy of the Holy Spirit. And I feel like that is what has happened with us. And as a result, we can step back, and I can step back a year and a half later and say, I did not do that. I know we have worked hard, but it was our energy partnered with the energy of the Holy Spirit, seeing people come to know Jesus and people come alive. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, this girl came to Mill City and actually met her in our uh, class. We call it Mill City Connect. Meets every week after service, and and, I, and she handed me in this handed me this application. She wanted to kind of be a part of the team, and she said, "So um, I'm really new to this. Can you like?" help me understand this. And I'm like, oh, sure. When did you come to Mill City? And she's like, oh, last week. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And uh, she said, but, but I'm not just new to, I'm not just new to, uh, to Mill City. I'm, I'm fairly new. I'm new to faith. I was like, oh, when did you give your life to Jesus? Last week. <laughs> and she said, I grew up in an atheistic home. Like, I've never been to church. I don't know anything about God. Um, I was taught, like, to hate God, all of this. So this is all completely brand new. And I, I look at her and I think, I, did, I couldn't do this. This is the work of the power of the Spirit of God. So, so those are the ways in which I love being a part of this. And you say, you know what? It was worth walking away from those things to participate and be a part of what God is doing. It is one of the most exciting, scary. I've had a lot of people ask, so Aaron, are you having fun? <laughs> um, Fun is not really the word that I would use to describe the last two years of my life. Uh, exhilarating. You know, like jumping off of a cliff and you're in the air and you're like, <gasps> is kind of how the feeling is. And when you hit the water, then you're kind of like, oh, man, that was fun. Let's do that again. And I feel like we just hit the water. So um, a year and a half of like, <gasps> and so, um, so get ready for that, right? Greg right now is going like this. <laughs> Um, I want to just give maybe four pieces of, of advice, some ideas that um, I think are helpful, some things maybe that we've learned, then have Greg maybe chip in a little bit, and then let's just open it up to Q&A and talk about church planning a little bit, all right? So four things. Um, number one, uh, spiritual warfare is no joke. When, when, now, I grew up in a church, grew up here at New Life, learned about spiritual warfare, um, knew all about it, realized it's true, prayed, um, fasted, all that kind of thing. Was told when we first started planting, win the war in the spiritual. So up your prayer life, up your fasting life, kind of get ready. The enemy is not interested in a new church taking ground in the city. 
makes perfect sense to me. I hope that it makes perfect sense to all of you. I did all of those things. We started, and I started meeting with my team. And about a couple weeks later, I started waking up about 4 or 5 in the morning. And if any of you know me, I love to sleep. I don't usually wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning. Um, I, I am a pretty good sleeper. I would wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning, unable to go back to sleep. I'd wake up actually in a sweat, like a cold sweat in the middle of the night, night after night after night after night for weeks and weeks to the point where I'm like not just not liking my sleep time, but I'm exhausted. And I'm also like starting to, I know that I'm entering into and in the season where I'm going to work the hardest I've ever worked in my life. I'm thinking I am exhausted to the point of tears multiple times with my wife. Like, I don't know, something's wrong with me. And I honestly thought that I was going crazy. My mind would race, and at first I thought it's just kind of stress and all that. I started talking to a couple of other pastors, which I encourage you, as you're in, if you're in a church planning process, talk to people about everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on in the church. Let them know, and you will find. And as I did that, I started to hear from other, oh, yeah, well, I experienced that. And they started telling me about it, and they're like, that's spiritual warfare. And so I, I started, uh, I already had, but I started engaging uh, intercessors, personal intercessors, and, and part of our team to just say, hey, I need you guys to pray for me. I am struggling. started dealing with anxiety um, that I, and things that I've never experienced before in my life. And, and so pray fast. Do it early. Start now. Um, don't mess around. The devil's not messing around. Um, and so, so I cannot emphasize enough spiritual warfare is no joke. Um, Number two, don't let your vision outpace your leadership. As a church planter, my hope would be that you would see something in the future, and you'd see something amazing, that you'll see a church that's making an impact on a community, that you'll see a church that's doing some specific things, that's, that's engaging people in some particular ways. But when you start, you kind of start with one thing. <laughs> We're meeting together. And we're going to start a Sunday morning service. And I remember after our first Sunday morning service, so what are you going to do about, and it was youth programs and, and outreach programs and missions, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and I certainly have some ideas, but it was kind of like, whoa, ho, ho. And now this is the thing. Just because somebody wants it doesn't mean that they need it. But two... You might have something in your heart and your mind, but I would encourage you, until you have the leadership to carry it, don't do it. And so we had, uh, early on, several different people with teenagers that were coming, and they're like, so are you, you going to have a youth group? Do you have a youth group? Do you have somebody that's going to take care of the youth? Do you have a youth small group? Anything like that? I said, no, we don't. <laughs> but then came along a guy who was a youth pastor for several years, and he said, I would love to just kind of take care of the youth of Mill City, is that cool? Absolutely. And now he has taken it and he's carried it. He's got vision. He doesn't need me pushing behind him. Uh, he doesn't need me kind of telling him what to do. Um, we meet, of course, and, and kind of shape those things. But don't let your vision outpace your leadership. It's easy as a church planter to have more vision. I've got more vision than we got. I got days. <laughs> I got more vision than we got money. I got more vision than we're ever going to have time for. But don't let those things outpace your leadership. Otherwise, you're like, oh, let's do this. And you can probably find somebody. I know that I can find somebody to start some, just about anything that I want to start. But if it's going to be sustainable, you have to have a leader that's going to be able to carry it. 
that has that inside of them, their heart and in their giftings. All right, so don't let your vision outpace your leadership. We had one service when we first started. About six months in, um, we grew to capacity in our, in our space. And so before just saying, oh, we're going to automatically move to two services, I met with our team, I met, and I met specifically with the kids' team. Because I said, I'm not going to do this until you guys are ready for me to do this. Because we need the leadership to carry two services worth of kids' ministry, not just one. And until you guys can say yes, I won't say yes. And so, um, so they, they came around saying yes. And I said, okay, here we go then. And we set, I set a date. I set a date with them. And we, mo- we ended up moving to two services. So it's easy to say, we've got the need. I've got the vision. So let's just do it and then not have the leadership to carry it. And that becomes uns- unsustainable. Um, number three is every church takes on the personality of its leader. There is no getting around that. I have realized that in, in more ways than I kind of expected. And I see that in other churches. And I certainly see that in our church, which means a couple of things. Um, one is that your church will learn what you teach, but they will embody who you are. And so what I mean by that is it's kind of like your kids. Like You know how you can tell your kids to do something, but they actually only do not only, but they do a lot of what you, who you actually are. And so it's the same way with the church. And the reason I say that, that, say that and communicate that as an, such, something so important is that if your church isn't doing or becoming what you want it to do or become, at some point I think we need to turn around and look at ourselves and say, am I not doing or becoming this or am I not this? Because if it's a reality in us, it will it might take time, but it will become a reality in the people around us. So if your church doesn't have solid relationships, I would ask at some point, I'm not saying immediately, but at some point, do I have those types of relationships in my life? Do I have the types of relationships in my life that I want to see other people living out in theirs? Do I have a prayer life in my own life like I want to see happening in the life of the people in our church? Do I see people studying and engaging the scriptures like I want them to? And if not, maybe I need to look at my life and ask myself if I'm studying the scriptures like that. Now, the reason I don't think that we have to always look at ourselves immediately, though I think that's wise, is that there may be part of it is structure. But I think too often what we do, whether we come to a conference or we read a book or we see something online, is we think, well, if I just get the right system in place, then everybody will start doing those particular things. And I think oftentimes, if the culture is there, you can actually sometimes do the wrong things, and it'll still work. And so sometimes, now the goal is to do the right thing in the right culture, but, but the, the culture will permeate whatever you do. And so, so let's not look specifically to systems to cultivate something that maybe isn't inside of us. Okay? Um, number four... And this is a, maybe seems like a simple one, but I think it's a huge one. So really early on, I had questions like, so what kind of church are you? You know, are you, you like, a, like a Baptist church? Or are you like a, you know, like a charismatic, you know, and I never say it, but like speaking in tongues church? Are you like a swing from the chandelier church? Or, and I, oh, oh, and I, I know what question they're asking. And I'm like, oh, no, oh, we're a Jesus church. 
yeah, 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 but like are you a, um, you know, like what, de what denomination are you? And I, I, we're not, but that doesn't really matter because we're a Jesus church. And part of the reason that I love saying that is because we didn't start a church. We planted one of Jesus' church. We're not, we didn't start our own thing. We actually just came alongside Jesus and took a little bit of the dirt and a little bit of the seeds that he gave, and we're just going and putting it in a particular ground. We just get the opportunity to steward his church. And so in those moments of anxiety, those months of anxiety, which every now and then still pop their head up in my life, you know what I, one of my prayers is, is Jesus, this is your church. I know that some of the things that I'm getting anxious about are the things that I'm trying to wrap my heart and my, my fingers around, if you will, to kind of grab a hold of and have some control of and know exactly how this is supposed to go or, or make it go in such a way that I have a lot of security kind of involved in this. But Jesus, this is your church. And so I give this church back to you. I'm not, I'm not sure if I've taken it from you, but I don't want to take it from you because this is your church. And I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be a part. I'm honored to to steward that which you've given to me, but this is not my church, this is your church. And so you said that you would protect your church. You didn't promise to protect my church, but you promised to protect and to build your church. And so, God, I pray that I would be a part of your church because you're going to build and protect that. And so, to help me to know and to realize and to live in the fact and the reality that this is your church, it's a Jesus church. All right? So, four big ideas. There's certainly a bunch others. So, um, Greg, maybe want you to share for just a couple of minutes, and we'll then give we'll you, do yeah, some Q&A. Give you perspective, right? So, there's less than 35 people in this room. And most of us are leaders. Most of us have some level of authority in our churches. ARC would not let us plant a church with this many people. Like, in order for ARC to put their stamp on a church and send you funds and say, yes, you're an ARC church, we'd still need more people than are in this room right now. I mean, you have to have built a team to a certain place. So when he said our team got there before that point, you know, like, I'm looking at this room and going, who wants to move to the Midwest? <laughs> Anyone? No? Okay, crickets. All right, well, I think that as, as I think about church planning is everything you've just said, I think a real big key in as you talk about, like, the anxiety and the stress and the things that come on you, that, you know, I've experienced as I'm going, oh, okay, I have this many people and I've raised this much money and I still need to do this is do I really understand the difference between authority and control? And, you know, here at New Life, we talk all the time about how you only be trusted with as much authority as you're willing to be submitted to. But in Matthew 10, when what I talk, said when I prayed, Jesus sends out his disciples, and he says, I give you authority. He sends them out. He says, I give you authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to take my gospel with you wherever you go. And then he spends uh, moment after moment after moment after moment after that telling them everything that they will not have control of. You won't have control of where you're going to stay, how much money you have, whether people like you. I mean, how many of us, we're just upset when we find out that someone doesn't like us. And Jesus is like, these are not the things that you are supposed to worry about. And so he gives us authority. Listen, Every one of you, if, if you are being sent or wherever you are right now, he gives you authority in the name of Jesus to act on his behalf and to heal the sick and to cast out the demon and to progress his gospel. But he never once gave us or you or them authority or control over people.
He doesn't give us control over people. He gives us authority to move in His kingdom. And I have to remind myself all that time, when I have someone that's waffling left, right, yes, I think I might want to be on the team. No, I don't. Or someone that you thought for sure was a for sure yes, they want to be on a part of whatever it is that you're doing. Everything in you wants to tense up and control the situation and go, listen, let your yes be yes and your no be no, man. You said yes, you're part of this thing. No, there's, there's something about having authority that says that I promise you that I will not control you. That, that authority is an open hand that is always meant to bless the other and that control is a fist that's meant to get my way. And there has to be something, whether it's a church plant or whatever, whatever ministry that you're involved in, we have to continually remind ourselves that Jesus, yes, has given us authority, but he has not given us control. And that's what we have to let go of. Okay, so can we maybe spend a little bit of time doing some Q&A? Let's talk anything and everything, um, money, um, nuts and bolts, launch, timelines, sending, whatever you want. So, or we'll finish and we'll, you guys can go eat. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, I think, so the question was, what do you, what do, you do when you're free-falling, <laughs> which is very much what it felt like. Um, I think you stay steady. I mean, we, you, we knew that we're just going to go slowly downward. And, um, and so you just pray that your bottom is not too low. Um, <laughs> and the, I was excited to get to the bottom. Not because I like, I hoped the bottom was higher, um, but because then you kind of know where you're at and you know what to work with. Um, but I believe that one of the biggest values in a church, can be a big, a value that can be huge in a church is consistency. And so if people know what they're, go- what they're, what they're going to get and know what to expect when they come to a church, chances are they're going to invite their friends. And so what really happened in those three months was not only some people checking us out and saying, oh, this isn't the church for me or whatever, but we're building trust, and trust happens over time. So, um, so we did not kind of change much during those several first several months, and um, just trying to do a good job. I think, the, um, I think our, our lens was we want to do a great job with this amount of time that we have on a Sunday morning, and, and so not only that, we want to do a good job of engaging people. We want to do a good job of um, helping people experience the presence of God, doing what I cannot do. I can, I can start time, and you know, we can have our instruments, our worship team play. But I know, and I was like, wow, I realized this very early on. This works because of the power of Jesus, communicating and meeting people in, in a beautiful way on a Sunday morning. And sometimes that can be emotional with, a goose, with goosebumps, and other times it's, it's not necessarily so emotional, but God meeting people and connecting people. Um, and I think you, you stay focused on, on those very basic things. I think what becomes a challenge, or what becomes a, maybe not a challenge, what becomes a, uh, uh, what can be harmful is if you think, okay, we've got these three months and we're kind of going down. Well, we need to add this or we need to change this. 
And then you're undoing the things that are hopefully are going to be actually the things that need to, need to stay consistent. So if there's things that need to be fixed, fix them, but I wouldn't change too much. And going through the ARC, the ARC will, will do a, does a lot of training on what should those basics on Sunday morning look like and uh, kind of give you a framework for, for how that, that kind of works. So right here. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, so I left, I should back up, I guess, in some ways. I left New Life officially in September of 2011. We made the public announcement in August of 2011, but probably June of 2011, I started telling some friends. And um, my wife and I, uh, and we tried, we thought, okay, we have about a two-month window before this is going to be a public announcement. So we wanted to tell as many per people personally so they didn't hear it through Facebook, you know, or something like that, that we knew, friends and family and all that kind of thing. So, so we started, whether it was on a phone call or dinner or coffee or whatever. And so probably during that two-month time, by the time it became public, we had some different people that were like, we're, we want to join you. And probably by, before we had even certainly moved or really started much of anything in Fort Collins, we probably had a a team of 10, um, which was a shock to me. I don't know, I didn't expect any of that. I don't, sometimes I think back and I think, what was I thinking? Like how, you know, but you follow the Lord and you'd love to have all these things. You'd love money, your team, your building, everything all lined up. And then you say, okay, now I'm ready to jump. And I realized as, as I was in that deciding moment of trying to pick Fort Collins or wherever we were supposed to go, that it really, one of the, my hesitancies, and maybe the reason I took nine months, is because I didn't want to step out of the boat till I had a guarantee. And that, that the city where we go is going to 100% work. And, and I realized that if I had a guarantee, it wouldn't be faith. And Jesus is interested in faith. And, and I felt like the moment that I realized that, and said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust your ability to lead or or redirect us, if I have chosen poorly or wrongly, more than my ability to blow it and miss it. I felt like at that moment, as we said, okay, Fort Collins is the place. We're going to start moving towards that. I felt like God actually kind of said to me, I'm going to, I'm going to surprise you. Thank you for trusting me. And some of that was friends calling us and saying, we've been praying for you and we want to go with you. Um, and so that was, so we had a little bit of a team by the time we officially stepped off staff here. And then um, we decided we needed to sell our house here in the Springs. And we have we had three boys and two boys in school at that time. So we wanted our boys to finish a semester and we'd want to take them out of school in the middle of the semester or middle of the year rather than in the middle of a semester. So we did that over the first course of those three months until December, planning to move then. And so because I was clo we were close enough, I commuted to Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. And I was up in Fort Collins two or three days a week usually, and we'd have a meet once a week meeting. Oftentimes, Jossie and the boys, we have four boys, would drive up to Fort Collins for a meeting every week. And uh, so we did a lot of commuting those first, first three days. We moved in the middle of December into a rental house in Fort Collins, and then we had our first service February 26, 2012. So 
kind of on the ground was about two to two and a half months later, which like I said, we anticipated that that would take a year, um, but it took six months. And so um, it was really fast. And you know, when you kind of feel like, oh, I got this year planned out and then that gets cut in half and you're scurrying, looking for a building and trying to figure things out, um, is a little scary, but God, God was unfolding and leading the way as we went forward. So did that, did that answer all your question? Oh yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, we, I have no idea how many people drove from new life, but a good number of people drove from new life. Um, we also, for opening day, we sent out a mailer to every mailbox in the city. Um, so, and that was a, just an advertisement saying kind of like, we're here. And so, um, and then we did a little bit of Facebook, but in those six months building that team, because your team is gonna invite friends. You know? So you want, you want, that's one of the reasons you want a, a bigger team and need a bigger team is not just to help make a Sunday morning work, but also to invite friends because they have networks. And so some, through, some of them were like a high school, somebody who grew up here in New Life, where Goat was going to Colorado State University, which is in Fort Collins. And so they would say, oh, I want to be a part of that. So they'd come. And my goal was to meet with everybody on our team. And I remember meeting with this one guy at, at, um, at Starbucks. I didn't know him, but he went to college here, and he was part of the college ministry that I led. I remember he was finishing up his senior year in Fort Collins at Colorado State. I remember going to coffee with him. No job, so he's got no money. He's got, you know, his tithe check is gonna be zero. You know, like he's a college kid, and he's got some energy, and I'll, I love college kids. I've been working with him for a long time. Like, I'll plug you in. But I'm also thinking, like, I know at some point this thing needs to be, like, financially, you know, viable. That's exactly right. But I go to coffee with this guy, and so we just start talking, and he's really excited about being a part of this. And he said, yeah, I was telling my mom about this, and my mom wants to have you guys over for dinner. Like, okay. <laughs> so my wife and I and our four boys go over to her house. We walk in, and there's, like, china and like place settings and glass goblets and all this stuff. I have four boys, <laughs> four, six, eight, and 10 at the time. And I'm like, oh dear God, we're gonna break everything in this house. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm like, hi, how are you? And I'm like, just nervous as anything that my boys are gonna destroy everything on the table. And, and so we're talking and they've been, and this family has been a part of the, the, their church for 20 years and all this and they're kind of wanting to find out what their son is involved in make sure he's not involved in a cult and and I didn't know it but his mom came to our first service and then she would show up every couple of weeks and then the husband would start to show up and now that whole family comes to as a part of our church he owns a, a business with 90 employees so you never know <laughs> who's going to show up. I have, as I've met with or talked with church planners over the last several months, never underestimate and, and never undervalue any person. You might, I, you might meet with somebody and think, why am I meeting with this person? You know, I'm not even sure I want them on my team. <laughs> Except for that they're a body and they breathe and they can hold the door, but they're, they don't even know how to smile. You know, like but you never know who they're connected to. I remember meeting with one guy. He was another pastor in town, still is. And, and um, 
and so we, we had been friends for years, and, and I said, is there anybody that you know, like, that's just, would, maybe I should talk to, like, give me a name, and he gave me a couple college students, I was like, no, bro, I need a family, give me a family, he's like, oh, I got one for you, and he gave me this guy's number, I met with him the next week, the week before our first service, and he said, oh, I'll come, and they just happened to be looking for a church, and he came to the first service, he was actually late, somehow he missed up the time, He's supposed to, we started at 9.30, we landed at 11. He came at five minutes till 11. So he's, he walks in, 400 people are walking out, and he's like, I, I didn't expect this. I expected 20 people in a circle singing Kumbaya. And he said, I'll be back next week with my wife. A lot of people do that. You know, like the husband will go, he doesn't want to waste the wife and kids' time. That guy now is on our staff and oversees all of our city groups. Um, you never know who you're going to meet with. I mean, you kind of... I don't really like feeling like a salesman, but you kind of beat down every door. You, you follow every lead, no matter how warm or how cold, because you never know how God's going to do that. So, so you, you just slowly but surely, um, Greg is kind of in that process. You're at, you've got 14. 14 on his team, and you just moved there how long ago? Uh, seven weeks. Seven weeks ago. So it's, am I right? Knocking doors, pounding every... Yeah, every, and then everyone you talk to, it's like, is there someone else? Is there someone else you can introduce me to? I mean, is there anybody else? I mean, even like you said, pastors, no, they've met people that would never come to their church because they kind of have a culture and they know what they're, and they go that maybe this isn't going to be what that person's looking for. And so, yeah, pastors will be like, well, I know this person. Someone on our team right now is because um, one, one of our prayer families said, you really should meet these people. We met those people. Uh, I don't think we were going to be charismatic enough from them. But then they said, well, you should meet these people. And now those people are on our team. And it's like three down the line. And, yeah, but every, every person I meet, every person you meet when you're right there in the beginning, you're looking at them going, dear Jesus, <laughs> is this person on my team? <laughs> yeah. So does that help? Good question. Yeah, I mean, the, the ARC requires 35 people, and they've got two levels, even financially. You have to have ri uh, raised 30000 or 50000 and then they match that. But they only match it if you also have this, the, the people. Yeah, so you have to have 35 people and one of those amounts, and then uh, they'll send you those finances a certain number of weeks before your launch. And they don't really have a requirement of official staff positions, but they... They would say, listen, there's certain things you just don't want to start without. You, they'd say, you really do not want to start without knowing that uh, your worship ministry is going to be quality. You really don't want to start if, if you don't know that you're going to be able to take care of people's kids. I mean, Chris Hodge said, if he was to do it over right now, if, if he couldn't start with kids, if he only had someone that was mildly interested in doing the kid stuff, that he, he would start without it. But the point that he's getting at is that make sure that these few things you put a lot of attention into and make sure that they're being led by someone that actually cares about it. Uh, because people can tell when they walk through the door, I mean, with the church we held plant in Georgia, like people can tell if you really care or if the person in charge of that thing really cares about what it is that they're doing or if they're just filling a spot. Yeah. Now, when you're building your team, there is a certain level of telling people, listen, the reason you're called a launch team is because our purpose is to get this thing launched. And some of them might be filling some spots that aren't their long-term goal. But you're communicating to them that, listen, 
there might be 35 of us now, but two months in, there's going to be 150 of us. And so there's going to be a whole bunch of new people that we can communicate with and see if they want to be part of this. And you may just be holding that door and making yourself smile because someone else that loves to hold the door and loves to smile is going to walk through it. Just to give a little bit of a, really briefly, the ARC process, I would encourage you, if you're unfamiliar with the ARC, go to the ARC website, which A-R-C, um, churches.com, I believe. And so there's ARC 1.0, which you just watch online. There are how many videos? Eight, ten videos online? Yeah. And they're all like... Uh, 30 minutes each. Yeah. And so you watch all those. I think it costs 50 bucks to watch them or something like that. Maybe I'm pretty, yeah, the first step is free. free. I yeah. paid 50, I want my $50 back. <laughs> Colin. And so, uh. so, so 1.0 is free. You watch it online. Then you can go to 2.0 and actually, uh, and that's kind of the get ready to drink from a fire hose three days or so, four days. And it's kind of all out training. Now you can go to 1.0 and 2.0 without becoming an ARC church plant. 3.0 is assessment. What happens is they assess you. They want to know like, um, how's your marriage? How, how are you going to hold up under the pressures of this as well as do you have the giftings and are you in the right do you have the right things in place in order to plan a church and then 4.0 is is really launching and coaching and so um so really you can go through the training and still not become an arc church and yeah. even that is valuable because right now i'm in doing. i'm in 4.0 technically right now so that's that's the phase where they still have you do coaching calls where you call and you're on uh if there's a number of people on that call and then maybe you call someone like aaron um, and that's where they're encouraging you consistently to continue to building your team and raising your funds. Um, but like with New Life, my experience was a lot like Aaron's, except that I was the first church planner here that wasn't already an executive pastor. So I hadn't been here as long. I didn't hold uh, the level of leadership that some of the other planters did. And so when we sat down with Brady, Brady said, you know, I expect three things of a church planner that, that they lead well. And he said, you've proven that you lead well that they know how to pastor, and he said, you know, I see you pastoring, but I really, I mean, we were far enough apart in, in relation of what we did that he didn't necessarily see that all the time. Then he said, and they need to be a great communicator, and he said, and honest, I've never heard you speak, so what I want to do is I want to send you to the ark and let ark determine some of those things for us so that we can move forward. And so, I mean, they, the ark gives you a score, you know, 0 to 15, and the pressure, man, it's... <laughs> on you as you walk into the room and they're about to give you that score and if you have a if you have a 12 or lower they say it's not right now they say let's let's continue the process 13 or higher then they say yeah let's step into 4.0 and so i walked in the room i'm like dear jesus you know <laughs> and uh, because they've had your meeting they've talked with me and my wife do you guys love each other you know how's that and what's your background and da 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 you know it's so when you walk out of the room with a 14 you're like yeah but, you know, and then you get to come back and you get to hand that to your church, and, uh, and it's validating. But if you get lower than that, it's, it's still not like, listen, you're a loser. It's, <laughs> I mean, there are certain things that, that if you've had a bankruptcy, if you've had, certain, if you've had a separation, if, you've had, if you're wanting to plant a church but you're not being sent by somebody, if your reference um, didn't say that you understand submission, there's so many little things that they can uh, interpret as something that would take a point away. And so it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't mean that you're lost forever. 
It just means that you go back and you evaluate those things and allow them to reevaluate you. Yeah, that's good. Okay, yes, sir. It is. Yeah. Yeah, let me start with that and then I'll answer your first question. So the arc will essentially, and I don't want to go into all the details, not because, not because they're not worthwhile, but you can just look them up online, but they'll essentially give you up to $50,000. But that is, they do expect that paid back. It is interest-free. Interest you start paying it back six months after you start. You pay back 10% of your monthly income until it's paid back, um, and then you're, and then after that you're required to uh, invest 2% of your missions budget into uh, the ARC every year. Um, so that is true, um, and I, I have no problems doing that. Having funds on the front end is extremely valuable, and so to have money and then pay it back slowly over time is really helpful. And then secondly, I am so happy to invest into the ARC to allow and enable other people to do what we're doing. And I think that local churches are the best investment in national United States of America missions and outreach, if you will. So that is, that is our national um, missions budget allocation. And uh, so, so that's kind of how we work that. So how we set our budget as far as like monthly budget, uh, is that what you mean? Okay. So you start at $1 million. <laughs> and then you work down from there based on how much support comes in. <laughs> so when I, I remember when we um, first launched, and I think this might be in 1.0, or first we knew we were going to do this, and I talked to the ARC, and they said, yeah, 10 years ago, Chris Hodges, who's one of the co-founders of the ARC, said he launched with $75,000. He said, but now it takes about two hundred to $250,000 to launch a church. And I'm like, oh, dear God. I think that's bad inflation. I'll go for 100000 was kind of what I had in my head, including 50000 of interest-free money, you know. And over the course of six months, well, eight, nine months maybe, we raised about um, two hundred to $225,000. And we ended up spending about one hundred and fifty to 160000 of that, and the rest was in savings. Um, and so a good portion, basically our ARC money was in savings, and so we used that, and which is so wonderful to start, a, have your first Sunday with a big savings account because then there's not pressure. And like, I gotta start with a tithing series. <laughs> and so, so it gives you a buffer. Um, so we kind of had a, a launch budget, and then once you start with your launch, then that kind of is set aside and you start on a monthly budget. The way that the ARC money also works is let's just say for round numbers, your monthly budget is 10,000 a month. And let's say for your first month, 8,000 comes in. The ARC will subsidize that $2,000. So send you a check for that first $2,000. They'll actually do that up to 20 grand for the first six months. So that you're not like running in the red from the get-go. And so that you can just kind of lead into that, lean into that and not be fretting about finances your first six months. The reason that they want payback in six months is because over time they've experienced that within six months, churches are self-sustaining. So, yeah. Correct, the 20,000. Sure. Yeah, that's part of the 50,000 possible total. Yeah, right. and part of your launch budget, I think, is going to determine where you're launching and what you're already starting with. 
Um, so I have a $100,000 launch budget, but New Life also sent me with some sound equipment. So they sent me basically with half of the sound equipment that I'm already going to need. So I was able to lower what my expectations were for something like that. I mean, you may not be in a situation where you have a church that was so gracious and from what we've experienced. And so you, I, I joke about the million dollars, but you probably want to start higher than you think and, and shoot for something because... If you say, like, for instance, we have ideas of what we want to do when we start, and those are in that launch budget, okay? But some of those are also things that I know that if we don't meet a certain level, those are the first things that come off my launch budget. Because, okay, doing this would be great, but it's not absolutely necessary. Doing this would be great, but it's not absolutely necessary. Is it going to enhance what happens? Yes, but... Most people, they don't know what they're missing unless you tell them and unless you did it and took it away. And so if you start without something and then are able to add that later, then that's good. But uh, shoot high and then whittle down what you have to. But also try not to compromise on what you believe is truly necessary. And so if you know that, all right, so we're trying to get the high school, all right? And in the high school, um, if we only had one speaker on each side, that would be really bad. I mean, because it's, it's a large room. I mean, but if I was like, well, that's what we budgeted. That's all we have in there, and that's all we can go with. And so we'll just make it do because we also need to get this. Well, then I'm compromising the experience for every single person that walks through that door. And you, you have to go, what do I want them to experience? And what do I want them to know about how I value not only God, but how I value them? And that's what you shoot for. Last question. A little bit of both. Yeah, um, New Life has been gracious to both of us that they, they have supported uh, some of our salary up to that, um, not all the way up to the day of, though, because I think that uh, what New Life understands is that this is a stepping out of the boat. And so they're not going to give you, actually this is something you told me when I talked to you on the phone about it, you know, they're, they're not going to give you everything that you need because they, just like ARC wants you to raise money, they, New Life wants to see that you are invested in this too. Not that you're just going to sit on, uh, you know, sit back and just wait for first Sunday to come around. And so it is, it's like as that date comes up where the, the support ends, is when you're going, dear Lord, let's get this thing going. So, yeah, so is that your experience? Similar thing. Uh, New Life paid our salary, not for that entire time. So it was a little bit of both personal savings, kind of relying on that, as well as New Life's generosity. Yeah, okay. yeah they're on their own, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was... I mean, we would try and help and, you know, help people find jobs and do whatever we could, but, um, yeah. You make no promises. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's pray, and then I'll hang out. Greg will hang out for a little bit. If you have any personal questions, we'd be happy to answer. God, we honor you. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of being a part of your church. And I pray that whatever, whether we're planning a church or participating in or, or leading a, a well-established church, I pray that for all of us, we would recognize it as your church. And may we, in any way that we have our hands 
uh, or, or our hearts in a place of trying to control that which is not ours to control. God, I pray that you'd help, help us loosen our grip and trust in the ways of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.